Blog Talk Radio. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer Speaks Resource website, blog, and radio. My passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's and memory loss, and that came to me through my mother's 30-year journey with dementia. For those of you that are new to our show, I just want to give you a brief introduction as to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. Our goal is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, um, I'm not sure if he'll be with us today or not. He pops in and out. Rick actually has early onset, and um, he was diagnosed in, I believe it was June of 2010. He's also the founder of Memory People on Facebook. And if you haven't tried um, that support group, I highly recommend that you do. On our homepage, you'll find links to contact both myself and Rick. And um, feel free to do that. We always love to hear from our listeners. And then I just want to remind people, too, that if you're listening by the Internet, um, there is a chat box. So if you have any questions or comments, please type in there. I will be monitoring those. Or you can always call in live to the show, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that number is 714-364-4757. And then they'll just ask you to push one, and that will get you into my queue so that I know that you're there. Today we have a really special show, and I'm I'm very excited um, to have with us Susan Parrish. And we're going to be talking kind of about identity, the identity shift that can come anytime someone is diagnosed with chronic illness such as um, Alzheimer's disease. For Susan, she was a nurse, and then she kind of went from nurse to Alzheimer's um, and is going back to Susan. Susan has worked 30 years in a nurse in a variety of situations. The last 10 years of her career, she was a night supervisor in a 200-bed um, municipal, municipal nursing home in Lindsay, Ontario. She's retired 10 years ago, and she now lives by the lake with her husband. I hope to do that someday, Susan. <laughs> I love I love being by the water. Well, actually, I, I we were by the lake for about four, five years, no, eight years, I guess, and uh, we have now moved back into Lindsay. To you have. Closer. Yes, we have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, and you have two daughters and three grandchildren. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And um, and you have been diagnosed with PCA. Um, can you tell us, um, you know, Susan, a little bit about PCA and what that stands for, and um, just a little bit of um, history and focus on that? I think that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, how PCO is PCA? Sorry, is different from typical Alzheimer's disease. Um, despite usually being caused by the same disease processes, uh, the effects of PCA um, typical to Alzheimer's um, are slightly different. Um, typical Alzheimer's is most commonly associated with deterioration of memory, followed by gradual progressive. Uh, decline. By contrast, 
individuals with PCA tend initially to have well-preserved memory, but instead show a decline in vision, experiencing difficulties performing skilled movements and um, with literacy skills. These functions are controlled by the back region of the brain, which is why it's called um, uh, posterior um, uh, atrophy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, let's see, what else can I say? Um, <clears throat> the functions are controlled by the back of the brain and, rel and relatively selective loss of visual abilities compared with more general decline seen in typical Alzheimer's. Uh, the damage in the brain cells is, the damage in, uh, to the brain cells is focused on this region. Um, as the disease progresses, uh, this damage may spread to other parts of the brain, causing people with later stage PCA more general symptoms of dementia. You know, Susan, one, one of, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. One yeah. of the things that I found really interesting was um, a statistic that said that less than 5% of the people with Alzheimer's disease actually have this condition. So it really is very rare. Yes, it um, is. Yes. And so I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the show because we need to learn more about all of these types and symptoms. Mm -hmm. I was... Uh, I posted on my blog, too, they were talking about how people are so naive in terms of the signs and symptoms um, regarding Alzheimer's disease and dementia and that, you know, education is so important. And in, you know, my research, they just said, I'm going to rattle off some typical um, signs that they say. And again, like like any Alzheimer's disease, they said the, the problems can really widely vary um, but the visual um, experiences, they just listed a few. Difficulty recognizing objects in pictures, for example, yes. household items in a catalog, especially if pictures were taken from a, an obscure angle or the picture is incomplete. Mm -hmm. Difficulty recognizing faces, for example, they have um, TV characters, friends, um, or relatives. Decline in spatial awareness. Um, this would be judging distance and speed. They said this might result in a person missing when reaching out to pick something up or finding it hard to press the correct number on a telephone, experiencing difficulties with driving or yeah. descending steps, um, mm -hmm. judging um, traffic movement, um, stationary ob objects may also appear to move. I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it it's it's a funny feeling. It's almost like a, a a double vision or feeling that your eyes are kind of jerking around and not completely mm -hmm. under control. Yeah, it would almost feel like you're to me. You know, when I'm reading some of this, like I'm hallucinating. Like, did I really see that? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. It's it, it's a it's a strange feeling. Yeah, Although it's I'm not. I'm not very far along, but even so, I'm finding I can't. I have to have larger. Um, uh, uh, things for for reading, like I have to I have to get uh, I need what's the word I want um, <laughs> uh, larger print larger print and I can't okay. read small print okay and I know my eyes are going and I've got my cheaters all over and you know I'm mm -hmm. 52 and experiencing lots of changes but since my mom has 
um, Alzheimer's, you know, you wonder in the back of your mind. And um, some of the other signs, I'm just going to finish this list because I think it might help our listeners here, um, was difficulty moving from the end of the line to the beginning of the next when you're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, particular words or letters appear to move around and become superimposed over one another when reading. Uh, difficulty reading certain types of text. They said, for example, um, for a lot of people with this disease, which again isn't a ton because it's uh, it's not uh, highly rated, but um, they have, for example, large print such as newspapers, headlines, um, and handwritten notes sometimes can be difficult to read versus smaller print. And I thought, well, that was interesting. Perceiving objects as having an unusual color, um, experiencing increased sensitivity to bright light or shiny surfaces, mm-hmm. um, experiencing double vision or feeling that their eyes are jerking around and not completely under control, which you had mentioned, and a particular difficulty seeing clearly in faded or low light conditions. Yes. So, um, you know, I, I look at that list and go, gosh, you know, with all the changes I'm going through, <laughs> it, it really makes you wonder. And, you know, how do you, how did you sort out, um, you know, and decide to go to your general par- practitioner? Because, you know, when I read the list, I mean, as much as it seems strange, I've also been told by so many people that a lot of it is normal aging. Um, so how did how did you decide to well, go to a doctor and I guess it it's sort of started um early on uh I was um having trouble spelling which I my husband noticed cuz I always was a good speller um but one of the things that I really noticed was um when I was driving uh to to a friend's place I got very nervous about how I would react if if that car that was coming towards me really came towards me that I was not going to be able to react and when I got home I told my husband about it I said I don't want to drive anymore I don't feel comfortable um and I really didn't know why at that point but um as we uh, went through the process of diagnosis we we discovered that um that, that this is what was happening interesting that yeah. that had to be scary when you're when you know you're behind a wheel um now do you still drive today or no i don't no i gave up my i stopped driving actually pretty much after that so that was and was that your choice or or was, was that my choice was no, it's definitely my choice because I didn't feel comfortable. Well, and I think that that's wonderful that you took that step because I know so many times families struggle with that decision. So kudos to you for for making that choice um, safer for everybody on the road, including mm-hmm. yourself, and and to lessen that burden on your your family and friends because it is mm-hmm. a spooky, spooky time and it's such a delicate thing um, to yeah. take. To, to take away the driver's license or to choose to retire it. Um, so I, I admire your courage um, in doing that and recognizing um, the importance of that. Can you tell us some other um, signs at all that you were having, or have we kind of covered the majority of them? Um, I, I guess 
we with some of the things that that we talked about um we decided because of the diminishing skills with arithmetic and driving etc we decided that actually my husband went to see the doctor and our our GP and said you know these are some of the things i've noticed so then i went to see him and then um he sent me to um another doctor who is a, a geriatrician who I have worked with quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's kind of fun. Well, it isn't fun. It's interesting <laughs> to be in this situation because you often deal with the same people you've dealt with when you were working. Well, yeah, so, being a nurse. And yeah, it, so I, I ended up going to um, this geriatrician who also came into the same uh, nursing home that I was in and did some stuff with the residents. So I knew her well. So that that kind of that helped out a little bit, um, but she did a few tests, you know, the typical clock until I was ready to throw the clock. And then, um, <laughs> if anybody gives me a clock now, I oh, smack them. <laughs> um, but anyway, I uh, so from there she sent me to a specialist in Toronto, Toronto Western Hospital, and uh, I had a, I had an MRI, and then. That that went to the hospital, and then I went to see this uh, this uh, specialist at, at Toronto Western Hospital, and uh, he diagnosed it as uh, PCA okay. at that point in time. Now, so how it long was ago a was relatively that? In, in in probably in time, it was sort of relatively fast for what maybe your average person might go through. Um, mm-hmm. To get the to, to get the diagnosis. So, how long ago did you get diagnosed, Susan? Um, I got diagnosed about uh, it's got it's got to be about uh, three years ago now. Three years ago, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, when I was reading up on this disease, they also said, um, well, I'll just read it from here. It says, however, vision is not the primary. Um, or only difficulty for everyone with PCA. Um, skills such as literacy, um, numbers, and the ability to make skilled movements may also be affected. And then they've given some examples. So I'd just like to share some of those. Mm-hmm. Difficulties with handwriting, um, such as with spelling or remembering the shape or name of particular letters or numbers. Slowness and difficulty with mental arithmetic. Problems dealing with money and small change. Difficulties with coordination uh, leading to awkwardness, um, making gestures, um, waving, thumbs up signs, things like that. People, they said, struggle to use particular tools such as um, knives and scissors and glasses in terms of putting them on and Mm -hmm. using them. Um, problems with dressing and clothing, um, partly related to the difficulties with visual perception, and then problems with sitting down on a chair or trying to sit um, on the wrong seat in the car, um, just because, again, that perception is off. Have you experienced any of those? Uh, some of them, yes. Um, initially, I noticed that I was having trouble um, getting, not getting my clothes on but getting them in the right way to put them on. Mm-hmm. But with with practice, I seem to be better with that. Okay. Um, I've sort of 
got my own system for putting clothes on, so that seems to be working fairly well. But some of the other things, yes. Um, reading a book, again, the, the size of the print is really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did you mention there? Um, I thought you had giggled when I said something about um, mental arithmetic. Oh, mental arithmetic, yes. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, huh? Or don't do no, that well. No, no, can't, can't do mental arithmetic anymore. Um, uh-huh. And um, I'm trying to think what else is really difficult how about are you able to use, like, appliances? I, I know with my mom, with her Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. there came a point where she really couldn't cook. She didn't know how to yeah. turn on the no, stove. I, I don't, no, I, I don't cook anymore. Okay. Um, Brian, Brian does the cooking, and I do the cleaning up. Okay. And I can put things away in the right place, pretty much. Okay. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't put a meal together. Okay. How about, like, using a vacuum cleaner, being able to know how to, you know, Plug it in and get it up and started, or oh yeah, I can do that. Okay, or washer and dryer, washer and dryer. I do most of the laundry. I can do okay. that. And you're on the so, phone, so that's and on the good. phone. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it's good, and I hope you don't mind me asking these questions. But I think it Not just helps our listeners in terms of of what's going on and and you're on the internet i mean that's how i met you mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. uh through i think it was through memory people wasn't it i think um, so yeah. yeah that we that we had hooked up there through that yeah. support group and and stuff and so i i think just you know the more we can share and talk openly and honestly about this the the better off we are now when you got diagnosed um how you know? I'd like you to explain how you felt at that time um, when you actually heard the words of what was going on. Well, I must admit it was pretty devastating. I, I know when the doctor, um, uh, when I went in to see the doctor in Toronto, um, he uh, sent, sent me first to the nurse to do the clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, um, while during I was during the time I was doing that, he was talking to my husband about what it actually was. Mm-hmm. And then I came back in, and he had a picture of my brain up on the wall. And he sat there and he said, "Well, Susan, this is your brain." Well, I was in. I had. I was sobbing so hard, I couldn't even through through my tears. I couldn't even see. Sure. Oh, I can I can understand that. that. So it was um, pretty hard, and uh, so um, we we got out into the car, and Brian kind of explained to me what it was, Mm -hmm. um, because I I wasn't hearing anything um, in the in the office. Um, So it was it was pretty bad. It was a pretty bad drive home, to say the least. and uh, by the time we got home, we were both exhausted and in a terrible state. And my husband went down the road to talk to a very close friend of ours, and I, I said, where did you go? And he said, well, I needed a friend. So mm-hmm. we went down to talk to him and and uh, came back, and, you know, I, I had about four or five days of just, I don't want, I don't, I don't know, I just wanted to die. And then... I thought, you know, this is silly. 
I can't sit here doing nothing. I can't just let it go. So I started to get involved with the Alzheimer's Society and I didn't they phoned as soon as I got home and I was to be honest a little upset about that because I wasn't ready for somebody to just be bop over to the house the moment I got home. Mm-hmm. I felt it was just too soon. So I as I said, I, I sat and thought about it for a while and I thought about my kids and grandchildren and and I thought, well, I can't I can't sit here, I've got to do something. So I thought I don't know what I'm gonna do but I, I phoned um David Harvey at the Ontario Alzheimer's Society and I talked to him and I said, I wanna keep busy, I wanna do something for Alzheimer's. What can I do? So he got me hooked up with um, uh, a design company that designs uh, nursing homes for people with Alzheimer's. Uh huh. And uh, so I've been involved with them quite a bit, and I've uh, I've done a lot of a lot of other work with Alzheimer's and online as well. I found a lot of things that I want to do. And uh, now we're looking at the concept of the small group homes. There's so many of them uh, in in the UK. I don't see a whole lot. I don't know whether you have very many of them in the states yet or not. Yeah, but, they're um, they're really they are in Canada. They oh, that's too bad. And yeah. in the US, actually, there's I think there's more of them than than people realize because. Everybody yeah. talks about the assisted living or the memory care or the nursing home, but there actually are um, a lot of smaller um, homes, you know, anywhere from four to eight people, um, typically is kind of a small group home here in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. and they're um, uh, they're beautiful, and mm-hmm. they're quaint, and um, you're you're so involved in terms of, you know, your day-to-day living, it's you know, yeah. it's kind of adopting a new family setting, mm-hmm. but um, you don't get lost in the shuffle. Many of yeah, them have so that. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's uh, basically what I've been working on, <clears throat> and uh, so I've I've been able to keep myself pretty busy, I think, and that has really really helped. Well, that's wonderful. I um. You know, I was in doing my research again on this. They were talking about this whole diagnostic process, and and it sounds like you were really quite lucky, just because of your background and being connected, um, knowing who to go to. They were saying that a lot of people just end up going to the eye doctor, and that it usually affects people kind of in their mid fifties or early sixties. But they said people you know, older can also be affected by this. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of people, you know, just think it's kind of normal aging and, you know, I got my cheaters, okay, no, they're not working and so we'll do something else. And they said that the referral process sometimes can break down um, between the eye doctor and the medical doctors in terms of um, really getting it diagnosed and that there really isn't a specific test for this um, posture postural cortical um, atrophy, and which is too bad. So, you know, we really do need to raise yeah. awareness on this and and um, get more backing behind it mm-hmm. so that people people know about it. Yeah, now, absolutely. Yeah. Now, and, how and, I mean, long? The only way you can diagnose it is with an MRI. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have somebody who is willing to think in that direction. 
Yep. So whatever yeah. you're going to, you know. They said also, also with the lumbar puncture, um, doing um, the fluid, and right. I don't know if that's, um, you know, with the brain and spinal cord, but I know that that yeah. can be, that's a little more invasive than an MRI. Yeah, an MRI, at least it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yep. It's go in the chamber. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> yep, yep. Might get you a little claustrophobic. Oh yes. <laughs> and things that time. Now, how long have you have you been married? Can I ask that? Been married? Mm-hmm. Uh, forty. Forty-four years. Forty-four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this had to be. Um, and, and the reason I ask that is. You know, people always say, you know, how do you get through this as a couple? And, um, I, you know, sometimes it helps, you know, to be in a long, longer-term relationship. Um, but other times not so much, you know. So, mm-hmm. And now you said um, that your husband had a difficult time, you know, with the diagnosis and needed to go talk with a friend. Did he ever share what his friend said when he came back and uh no not really and i think he he just wanted he, i think he just felt he needed to talk to somebody yeah and that was what <clears throat> excuse me that was fine with me yep well um, and just to kind of grieve and process that and probably didn't want to upset you anymore um but yeah. needed an outlet for himself cuz i'm sure yeah. he's trying to be your rock yeah exactly yeah for sure now, when did you tell your kids? Did you tell them right away? or It was relatively soon after because we felt that if I was making mistakes or whatever that the kids would say, you know, there's what's going on with mom, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, what he did was he um, went down and talked to my two sons-in-law. Mm-hmm and gave them the story, and then at the same time, after Brian had left, at the same time, they were to each sit down with their wives and tell them at the same time so that one didn't know before the other one. Mm-hmm. So everybody got the message at the same time, and I think that that worked really well because it... it uh, you didn't have them sort of saying, well, how come I don't know yet or whatever, you know. And uh, it, it worked very well. You and know, I the think little that's ones smart. were told, my grandchildren were told that, you know, sometimes sometimes Nana might forget a word or she might forget what something is, but, you know, it's nothing really to worry about right now. Because so, the kids are still, well, the oldest one is now nine. Um, and really it hasn't been an issue with the kids at all. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah. I yeah. I think that was wise to tell them all at one time because then people don't feel like there's favoritism or why did the yeah. person know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lord knows you don't need any more drama, you know. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. You know, and he went down by himself. It was much easier for him to do it than for the both of us to go. Okay. And uh, yeah, so that worked out actually very well, and and both. Both kids, both my daughters and and, and uh, sons-in-law have just been fantastic. You know, there's really a lot of support there. So we're, I guess we're very lucky in that way. Do you live close to your kids? Well, not that close. We're about um, a little over an hour away from them, I guess. 
Okay. Okay. Um, do you talk with them frequently? Oh, or? yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, my daughter, Devin, uh, works for a CTV. Uh, it's a channel in, in Canada. Uh-huh. Um, and um, she's the... Uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm just going to have a drink of water here. My throat. Oh, sure. She's the senior designer um, for CTV, and so she's she's downtown. She's in Toronto. My other daughter uh, works out near the airport. She works for a, a big laboratory company, and uh, but she's. Uh, in Whitby, and and that she is so she's a little bit closer to us, so it's not that far, an okay. hour or so to each of them probably. So okay, that's nice. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to reach out to our callers and and mm-hmm. um, and our listeners and say if people are interested in asking a question, um, please again feel free to put your question or comment in our chat box or call in um, live at seven one four. Three six four four seven five seven. Again, that's seven one four three six four four seven five seven. And um, we'll try to get your your comment or question answered for you on that. Um, now, what, as far as um, your diagnosis and your comfort level with this, I know it's been you know about three years. Um, and you're not working anymore. Are you comfortable being home alone, or you know, do you get scared at all at times? Or um, no, no, I don't actually. I it, it's I, I'm fine being at home. I'm not having a problem with that. I don't oh, feel nice. um, uncomfortable or unsafe or anything like that. Okay. Um, it, it's it's fine with me. It's, um, Brian's only way. Um, not away all day. Sometimes she he is almost all day. Depends on what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But um, he goes out at night and plays bridge. I can't play bridge anymore. <laughs> uh huh. Cards are all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he curls uh, regularly, twice a week. But then I go out too. I have a I have a, a very good support. Um, one of the uh, one of my close friends who I worked with at the manor um, is also a, a very close friend, and she and I go to um, water yoga and water exercise twice a week, and we do things together. And then I have another close friend at the Alzheimer's Society who um, here in Lindsay, and uh, so we're kind of working as a team because all three of us are nurses. So you know, I've got a, I really have a lot of support. Really, it's it's uh, it's not an issue. And my my other friends are always helpful if I need anything. So um, I guess I could say I'm very lucky for for that. Well, that's fantastic. One of the things that I love that you mentioned was that um, not only are are you doing things, but but Brian is too. And he's not losing his connection because I think so many times the caregivers feel like they can't leave, and you know you guys have worked out this balance. So, because you know, as much as we talk about here in the U.S. and I don't know if you hear it a lot in Canada, but everybody talks about patient-centered care, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, everything is focused on the patient. And I, you know, I think that that's great and I'm a firm believer in it, but I think we have to go a step further and go into relationship-based care <laughs> so that our needs are being met if it's with the other person or somebody else. Um, but we have to have that balance and, we, you know, we have to, we, we have, you know, we have to still interact as a community. I just think that that's really a critical, critical piece um, for us to be able to care for one another. Otherwise, we're going to end up um, burning out. And um, every time we give care, we always receive care, too, if we're open to looking for it. Um, yes, but it's, that's it's, right. But it's not a one-way street. And so, you know, I love that you've got your friends, and I, I think it's fantastic that, um, you know, you're allowing him to, to still go play bridge and do mm-hmm. curling and be the person that he needs to be and mm-hmm. still continue your relationship. I, I just, that's a wonderful role model for people, and I just don't think that we hear that um, as much. So kudos to not only you and your husband, but to your friends and your family who are supporting you with all of this. Have you gotten um, any media coverage at all regarding your disease? And Not at the moment, but uh, I'm working with Alzheimer's Society Ontario, and uh, January is Alzheimer's Month mm-hmm. in Canada. Okay. So um, we're hoping that we'll be able to get me I would like to do both, the radio and television, but we'll see what, what is going to be possible. But we're working on it so that um, I, I would like to be on uh, national television and, uh, excuse me, maybe even on the radio as well. So that's that's another project that we're, that we're working on. That's fantastic. And I'm also helping out with the, with the work for um, the uh, small group homes as well. So, Great. Yeah, there's lots, I, I, lots to keep me busy. <laughs> wonderful. Now, is the is the Alzheimer's Society um, helping you connect with some of the small group home businesses at all, or uh, not at this point? It's 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 quite a new concept for for here. Okay. Small group homes. So um, they're working on it. Uh, as I say, it at, at, uh, the Alzheimer's Ontario is working on it. And um, David Harvey, who is uh, on the project and does a lot of uh, uh, talking about Alzheimer's too, he's a really nice guy. Um, they are one of the things, one of the problems with getting these small group homes in is getting the cost down, because mm-hmm. I understand that apparently they end end up costing more money. I'm not really sure how, but because I don't know all the details yet. Yeah, I had, research. I had Potomac Homes on uh, the radio show, and you might want to look them up. Uh, and they have it kind of down to a, a fine art and said that they've got a very economical model. And then um, here in Minnesota, we have um, ACR group homes. They own like 50 group homes, um, a variety. They started out kind of with uh, people with disabilities, um, and have have now a couple homes for um, the elderly and uh, and Alzheimer's and memory loss that are just absolutely 
gorgeous, gorgeous homes. And then we also have English Rose Suites here that specializes in memory care. That, you know, those are just a couple. Um, but there's there's quite a few here. I know I used to work for a company called Dungarvan, too, that also has um, group homes throughout the U.S. And, mm-hmm. you know, they might be interested in expanding. You just You just never know. But I would be glad to try to help uh, you and kind of your cohorts um, make some connections there because I, I think it is a great model and tapping into someone who's kind of been there, done that, you know, always helps. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Anything that will help is, is great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, it's, um, it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice concept. And, you know, here in the U.S., you know, I, I think they're really kind of, putting the the squeeze on the nursing homes to downsize, kind of like we used to have state hospitals here. Um, And this was like, gosh, 30 years ago when I was in the group home business. And, you know, they kind of squeezed the state hospitals and put people in uh, that had developmentally disabled, uh, put them into small group homes. And people thought, oh, that was never going to work. And, you know, and it's worked very, very well. And now I think the nursing homes are feeling a little bit more of the the squeeze for change and the the assisted livings and the memory care units that they build here um, nowadays are smaller units, maybe I would say 14 max if mm-hmm. it is, and then they have mm-hmm. smaller wings, you know, just so it's it's easier for people to maneuver. Yes, so. yes, yes, and and we don't really have that. Most of our our uh, long term care homes. Um, that have Alzheimer's people in them um, tend to have the great long halls because mm-hmm. they weren't designed for people with dementia. They're just designed for long-term care. Yeah. And so all they have is the great long halls, and it just doesn't work for people with Alzheimer's. Yeah. There's a there's a new place being built on in Tennessee called Abe's Garden that's going to be Oh, yes, I pretty, saw that. Yeah, yeah. that's that's going to be pretty cool, and there there was also a new one in um, well, Abe's Garden. I should just share with our listeners is going to be a residential setting with uh, small communities within it, and then it's also going to have a research center and um, an adult daycare that will be. Um, they're hoping to have that be a 24/7, um, so people can use it as a respite um, if people don't sleep at night. Uh, you know, they can drop them off there and then the families can get some sleep and, you know, uh, they can use it for all different types of things if it's vacations or whatever uh, yeah. the situation. Now, I have, to, I have to ask you about your sleeping patterns because that is something that a lot of people um, complain about with, you know, that they don't sleep well during the night, they're up or nightmares. Mm-hmm. Do you have any problems with that with this uh you know, with your disease? At this point in time, I I don't, but I do find if I, like we usually have a bit of an afternoon snooze or something, and I'll just sit in the living room in, in the chair. Mm-hmm. But a couple of times I've gone into the bedroom to actually lie down, mm-hmm. and then I've had nightmares. Okay. But I don't seem to have them at night. Okay. Uh, now, I was put on an antidepressant very soon after because that's one of the things they recommend mm-hmm. for people with with this particular kind of Alzheimer's that I have. Uh-huh. It's it's 
um, for some reason you can get very depressed with this. Uh, so I was put on an antidepressant, and it made it made a huge difference in how I felt and how I functioned. So okay. I, I'm on it regularly now, and it's it makes life much much easier. Okay. It looks like we've got a caller here, so let me just pull mm-hmm. this person on. Eugenia, are you with us? Uh, yeah, but it's Richard. I'm using my wife's account. Oh, okay. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Uh, this is Lori, and Susan's on the line. What can we help you with? Hi, Lori. Uh, hi, uh, Susan. Listen, uh, I've I listened to a number of shows uh, about different uh, uh, illnesses, and uh, this seems to be, this in Parkinson's disease seems to be uh, related quite closely, and I'm wondering uh, if uh, Susan, do you have any metal fillings in your mouth? Metal fillings? Uh, yeah, they, they used to call them. So. No. They used to call them silver fillings. So. Yeah, okay. no, I don't. Okay. Uh, what about? Uh, uh, antiperspirants. Do you use the antiperspirant? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Well, you've eliminated the, uh, <laughs> two, the, the possibilities that I was thinking of. Uh, I have found, and I've, I've found evidence, uh, strong evidence, that both mercury and the combination of mercury and aluminum will create a problem like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. And I know there was a study in in Quebec uh, that said that aluminum had a lot to do with Alzheimer's. Uh, I'm wondering if you know anything about that. Susan, I don't know if you do. I I have not really uh, followed any studies particular to that. Um, Have you? No, to be honest, I haven't really heard about that kind of a connection. Um, I know that there was there was an issue with aluminum a few years ago. People were saying it was causing problems, but I don't recall that it was specifically related to Alzheimer's. But that's quite interesting. Well, it's uh, I, I've made a study on heavy metal poisoning, and uh, 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 when you're poisoned in this this area in, with heavy metals. Uh, Every person is different. Even in the confines of a family, every is per- person is poisoned at a different rate, and they accumulate at a different rate. It would, uh, you know, I'm not. I, I won't tell you what to do. I'm not a doctor or anything. But um, if I were in your position, I would uh, investigate uh, further if you have any. Uh, heavy metal body burden, and if you do investigate how to minimize or eliminate that body burden, and it's not an easy thing to do. Mm. No, so, I would think it would be. So, Richard, can I ask what your background is, or what got you interested in um, investigating that? Well, I uh I'm a Vietnam veteran and I was uh, poisoned by Agent Orange and okay. um I was uh started coming down with uh, strange symptoms in 1969 
And uh, by 1983, I was using a cane to walk, and I was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. I started investigating multiple sclerosis and wasted a couple of years looking at a disease. And um, I, I decided that I needed to study illness, not a particular disease, but how people get ill and and mm-hmm. uh, how to reverse it. And I figured out that uh, there are three ways to get sick, a microorganism, a trauma, or a poisoning. Now, um, I eliminated the uh, microorganism because I've taken, um, you know, all the medications for uh, um, bacteria and so forth. Um, I also, uh, I didn't eliminate uh, trauma because I've had a number of traumas. But uh, the one area that uh, caught my attention was this poisoning. And every time I brought it up to a doctor, they did not want to talk to it, uh, talk about it. If I talked to a dentist about it, he would get mad and throw me out of the office. So I knew I t- touched on a nerve. Now, mm-hmm. if, you, if, if you look on uh, YouTube and uh, uh, search on uh, mercury and aluminum in, in the same search, you'll find a uh, block of aluminum being consumed by mercury. And essentially what I'm saying is that mercury and aluminum are counterindicated. You're never supposed to put them together. As a matter of fact, uh, mercury is not allowed on any airplane in the world in any form. And um, nobody seems to know about that. The, The reason is that if you drop a little bit of mercury on an aluminum airframe, you will compromise the integrity of the airframe and once there's a stress on it, in other words, it's in flight, it might come Mm -hmm. apart and that would be disastrous for everybody on board. Well, interesting. Well, I appreciate you calling in today and you've given us all a little food for thought. Um, You know, there's a lot of research going on in all different angles and that just brought up another Another one for um, people to go ahead and scope out if they're interested in doing so. So, well, so thank you so much for calling in, Richard. Well, well, just one more point, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned uh, research, and everybody says mm-hmm. we need more research and so forth. Mm-hmm. If, if you start a research project now, that project will be done the day after you die. So don't wait for, for research, because that's never going to happen. Well, I I agree there. I I think research is something that we need, um, but I also think we need to deal with what it is we can do today um, in terms of our relationships and living with with disease and illness. And, you know, I I do believe that there's a lot of uh, chemicals and things uh, that we do have control over, you know, the way that, you know, our diets are and our environment as a whole you know, I, I think we do have to be much more uh, conscious of that, um, what we're putting into our bodies or what we're putting our bodies around, you know, um, anything from aerosol cans to, you know, it, it's just about living greener and being smarter um, to be to live healthier lives, I think. Um, yeah, sure. Well, thanks for taking my so, call. Well, thank you so much, Richard. Bye now.
So, Susan, um, mm-hmm. in terms of you know your you know your transition, your your kind of shift from being a nurse um, and then ending up being diagnosed with with Alzheimer's uh, disease or or a type of Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, how do you feel like you were able to kind of pull yourself out of that black hole when you got diagnosed initially? Um, can you give anybody some tips in terms of, you know, if they get diagnosed with this disease, you know, and, and everyone's different, I understand that, but what what helped you kind of come back to Susan and choose not to live as the disease but to still be your own person? I guess I, uh, I guess my feeling is that I had to having the knowledge that I had and, and the the background I just I just thought that I I couldn't just sort of sit there and let other people do the work and I um I felt that I really needed to do something to keep me busy <laughs> for one mm-hmm. thing and to feel that I was um, making a difference, uh, helping out with um, these kinds of projects. And, you know, we're working on not only the small group homes, but I also want to set up a, a J. Arthur Cafe here in Lindsay. I I just feel that I, that it makes me feel um, not needed, that's not a very good word, but feel that I'm I'm contributing I guess by doing some of these things and and being able to to help out somehow. Well, wonderful. You know, our our next show coming up is going to be on the 11th. And Ms. Michelle Mason is coming back. She is the one who had the Soul Purpose show and that was where she basically creates these spa days uh for both uh her residents with um dementia and their caregivers and she oh, yeah. pulled in this amazing team of, you know, makeup artists for the stars and professional mm-hmm. photographers and masseuses and everything. And on the eleventh we're gonna do a show called Ignite Your Care Culture. And it's gonna be about helping people brainstorm on what is it that needs to change and how do we change it? Because there's I think so much all of us can do to shift our care culture when it comes to dementia, but we have to talk about it, and we have to be willing to take some risks. Um, The other show that I wanted to mention, because I think that you would find it useful too, is on December 6th. Um, I'm going to have Uta Lugzig on, and she has uh, in California the Alzheimer's Cafe. So on that day, we're going to talk about social support groups for Alzheimer's and dementia in general and that cafe is a little you know has a little different structure just like the Alzheimer's Association has a little different structure with some of their um support groups there is no right or wrong it's just what is the need in your community um and then you know let's get it filled <laughs> you know let's create some, yeah, yeah. some well, ideas we really don't have anything like that in the community mm-hmm. and I feel that that people in the community who have it try to keep it very quiet and I think mm-hmm. that if we can get um the memory cafe up and running then they'll have a, a place to go to where they can feel safe. 
to talk yeah. about it, to talk with friends, to do activities. I, I think it's I think it's really important, and they can get support from the local Alzheimer's Society at the same time. So, um, as I say, the the lady that I work with at the Alzheimer's Society is is uh, is fantastic, and mm-hmm. uh, so as I say, my my other friend and the lady at at the Alzheimer's Society, the three of us are the three musketeers are wonderful way at at uh, these these particular uh, projects. And, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. I I just, I, I love how the Internet has pulled us all together. And yeah. we've just gotten you know, so I, much. I found a, a huge support on Facebook, t- to be honest. You know, and people think, oh, Facebook's just a waste of time. But for me, I have reconnected with a lot of old friends and I have mm-hmm. connected with a lot of new friends who are all very supportive, and I find that really works well for me, and I get a lot of ideas and a lot of help, so I, I find Facebook a, a real um, other home for me, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's just a really uh, nice, comforting um, place to be able to go because people are being honest. And yeah. even, you know, I can't believe the friendships I've developed with people all over the world that someday I hope to meet everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah I just it, wish I could go over and meet Norms. <laughs> oh, I know. Isn't he just amazing? He yeah. is just shaking things no. up. For for those of you that aren't aware of who Norms is, uh, Norms McNamara, if you Google him or if you go on Facebook, he's all over. But he uh, he lives in the UK and he has Alzheimer's disease. In fact, this September, September 17th, he started uh, the first annual uh, Alzheimer's Day for uh, the UK. And actually, it got picked up um, throughout the world, and people started celebrating basically this Dementia Awareness Day, which he refers to as Dad. And in just a few months, he had over 14,000 people following him on Facebook. Um, again, and then we've got Rick Phelps, who's created Memory mm-hmm. People um, on Facebook, which is a great social support group. Uh, there's Richard Taylor, who's in Texas, who still does some speaking and training and just released a, a brand-new uh, DVD for training that talks about the stigma and the myths of this disease, which is, in my opinion, one of the best, well, in my opinion, it is the best training video I've seen regarding mm-hmm. the disease. Um, he speaks so eloquently with this, and he's been on this journey, you know, with Alzheimer's probably of the, all, or um, dementia probably of the Alzheimer's type for about seven years. Um, but he just does such a fantastic job um, breaking it down, what it's like to live with it, and you know what what needs to change, and so Susan, it's people like you that make such a difference in this world by being willing to stand up and and speak honestly and and share your thoughts, share your life um, with us because the rest of us are just guessing at what's going on um, with mm-hmm. you so again i I can't thank you enough for for coming on the show. Now, I had asked you for um, kind of your top three recommendations for caregivers, and um, you had said, one, um, you know, be patient, be Mm 
be in my world because I can't always be in yours, which I thought was just beautifully stated. Um, Two, you said help the Alzheimer's patient participate in a variety of activities, both physically and intellectually, which I think so many times we think we're caring for somebody when we do it all. And that really strips people of their individuality um, and their purpose, I would imagine. Um, And so it's it's important um, that we redesign how we do some of our tasks and not be in such a rush to get things done. Um, Would that be a a correct statement? I I think so, yes. And I think, you, you know, you... If you can get yourself, once you've gone through the grieving process, if you can get yourself out there to do something that you're able to do, to do something that you enjoy doing, then I think it gives you a much more, gives you a purpose. And as long as you can do that, I, I think it, it really, it really helps. I, I would agree. It's it's all about connection. I mean, purpose drives all of us, and when we lose that purpose, we lose our connection, and that's when we all start getting depressed, yeah. when we feel like we don't matter and we're not needed. And mm-hmm. so it's it's very important. I remember when my dad was in the, the nursing home at the very end of his life, He my dad had a brain tumor, and he ended up taking a, a fall because he didn't take the elevator, and he took the steps and landed him in the hospital, and then from that point forward, he could no longer live independently. But I'll never forget for my dad, um, even as he declined in the couple of months he was there, it was very important for him to still pass out the bibs at the nursing home for mealtime because that made him feel like he was helping others. And it yeah. gave him value, and so even at the end when he was <clears throat> when he was in the wheelchair, you know he wanted someone to you know help him be able to still do his task to still be part and mm-hmm. so it's simple things um you know doing the laundry um you know helping fold the clothes uh making a meal i mean there's so many different things that can be done, and then those intellectual conversations. You know, don't stop engaging with people because of this disease. The third thing that you had um, said that you recommended for caregivers was support and encourage somebody with uh, dementia to to be um, be in some advocacy projects. Mm-hmm. And um, can you explain again, just in your own words, why you think that's so important? Well, I th- I think it it also gives you a, a feeling of that you're giving back and that you're helping if you can um, get out there and and do something positive for the Alzheimer's Society or for somebody else that you know has the problem or just whatever works for you. But mm-hmm. to be out there doing something, I think, can make a, a huge uh, difference in your uh what what can I say? A difference in, in how you feel about yourself. Yeah. Because you're actually still being able to um help other people out or 
do whatever you are able to do. I think that that really adds to your quality of life. Yeah. Well, and it shows that you're, you know, you're a fighter and you're you're trying not to let this disease get the best of you or or the next person in line. You mm-hmm. know, you're not going to just lay down for it. So I, I think that that's wonderful. Um, are there some things that you think professional caregivers could do differently in terms of working with people with dementia? Um, hmm, that's a difficult one to answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think they, they need to be knowledgeable about the unique needs of Alzheimer's patients because they're they're very different than your average, especially in long-term care homes, they're very different than your average person who is in a long-term care home. Um, you uh, need to be knowledgeable about um, having having activities for those people who are up at night and wandering, something for them to do. Um, give uh, someone who is who's worried about their memory some advice, uh, get to get an early assessment, um, because if you get an early assessment, um, it make it gives you a lot more time to prepare and to get um, the help that you need. If you leave it too long, you're not going to get that kind of help. And that's one thing that we are in here in Ontario going to make as our story, if you will, for Alzheimer's in January, is the importance of early diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So that that is going to be our message that we're putting out this January, and and it really does make a big difference if you get the early diagnosis because then you have the time to um, make changes in your lifestyle or do whatever you need to do to support yourself and prepare for the future. I agree. I I think you know with my mom's been on this journey for thirty years and. Um, and so she started having problems at my age. I'm 52, and she's now 83. And I really think, you know, that's why she's still alive, even though she's been in her end stages for three years now. Mm-hmm. She is so comfortable, um, at, you know, where she lives. Um, she's just family. And things are in a routine. You know, we were able to, to plan. And in the nursing home where she's at, I mean, that wasn't in the plan originally. You know, she was always going to come and live with us, and then she made the decision, which was really um, brilliant on her part because she was able to adjust uh, while she was still in her earlier stages and be able to have peer support, which she wouldn't have had in our home setting. And so it's been kind of an amazing process for me to watch and you know, her decision to move into the nursing home, again, was because my dad moved there, and she said, I'm not leaving him now. We've been together 49 and a half years, and somehow in all of our legal and financial planning, we forgot about the relationship. And I just yeah, thought, yeah. how sad was that? How did we forget about the importance of the relationship and the comfort of being together? Mm-hmm. and really being able to, to work with that. So, um, And I liked what you said about, you know, caregivers doing something different. The, the night activities for those who are up, I think, is 
very important. So many times we get so structured in it's bedtime now, go to sleep. But, you know, people's clocks are different, and we need to be able to accommodate that because when we don't fight it, um, it's funny how those behaviors go away, you know, when we work with them um, instead of trying to force kind of a a square into a, a round hole there. Um, is there any advice that you would give somebody who's worried about their memory? Because I'm sure prior to being diagnosed, you had your worries. And, and um, what would you advise someone who is in that process right now? Well, I would suggest that they, if they feel that there is something wrong, the earlier they get diagnosed, the easier, and that's not maybe the best way to put it, but the easier it is to start to deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. If you leave it too long, then you may not be at the point where you can deal with it. So I, I really think that early diagnosis is really important so that you can prepare for what's going to come down the road. Um, we sat down and, and uh, did that kind of thing soon after we got home. We went through the planning processes to how things will work out as time goes by. And I think that if you if you leave it too long, then you might have regrets as to what you might have missed. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one question I didn't ask you, and if you're not comfortable answering it, please um, just say so. Um, but I think people are always curious. Um, can you, I know you said you got diagnosed three years ago. Are you comfortable telling people how old you are today? How old I am today? Yep. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Um, because I, I think it's all about, you know, people trying to figure out that whole, at what age, you know, can this happen to me at? And, and bottom line, it can happen at any age. Um, mm-hmm. But I but I think mm-hmm. it is helpful for, for people in general to to be able to hear that voice and hear your well, story. Well, and I think people need to know that, you know, you can be diagnosed as, as early as your for, late 40s or early 50s. Yeah. It's not, it, it's not it, really just an old person's disease. And I think no. this is what people need to understand, that just because you're um that young mm-hmm. i mean it, it can it can happen you know yeah. it's it's not a a normal part of growing old it's there's something different going on and um as i say you can be diagnosed in your early 40s and 50, early 50s yeah and there's actually some in their 30s yeah, um, that have been diagnosed. So mm-hmm. this this is a reality that we need to talk about. It needs to be exposed um, in a realistic mm-hmm. fashion, and we have to stop this fear because you know you yeah. can live with this disease. Um, yeah. You don't have to become it. And I think yeah. you're just such a prime example of that. So so how old are you, Susan? Oh. <laughs> Now, now you, now you got me. Now I got gotcha. you. <laughs> you got me. How old okay. Am I? <laughs> well, and that's that's fine. Standing joke in my family was I would always like turn the corner before I, before my birthday, and then my birthday would hit, and then I'd add another year on. So I never yeah. knew how old I was, and I've been doing that <laughs> since I've been thirty. So it's I'm you know, sixty-two. 
62. Okay. That's correct. Okay. 62, Brian? Am I 62? Yes. I'm just confirmed with my husband. Okay. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I mean, I think one of the things, too, of you just being interviewed on the show, people are amazed at how articulate you are in terms of telling your story and and um, sharing things with us. Because, again, people think, you know, someone in a wheelchair, deadpan stare, and yeah. can't communicate. And that is so not this disease. It's a part of the disease. Yeah. You know, that, later that, on that, down the road. That's way down the road. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and I think more and more people are going to be like my mom, living with this disease for 30 years. And Jeez, so, amazing. Yeah. And so, again, it's not... It's not something that um, that we can ignore. It's not something that's going away. No. There, there is no cure. No, um, we've got to we've got to stop hiding it. Uh, there's mm-hmm. too much of that, you know, and and denial. That, well, you know, oh, oh no, it, they're just getting older. Yep, exactly. Well, yeah. Susan, again, I I thank you so much for being part of the show and helping us. Um, raise awareness around the globe with this disease and and bringing um, to us, you know, this rare form of Alzheimer's, of posterior, uh, is it cortical atrophy? Um, you know, we're only less yeah. than 5% of people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease have this type of disease. And again, mm-hmm. um, it really is more... Um, a lot of the symptoms have more to do with vision and, and mm-hmm. spatial um, abilities uh, to kind of connect the dots um, That's right. and mm-hmm. so forth. So thank you again. Is there anything else you'd like to wrap up to say to our listeners at all today? Uh, well, the only thing I can say really is is um, if if you think you have problems with memory, then... Early, you you must get uh, an assessment because the earlier you find out what is going on, the easier it is to deal with. I think that's probably the most important thing. I I agree. And again, you and your family and your friends are just such a great example of still working together and not losing your relationships over a diagnosis. I I just I have to. Um, give you all kudos for that because so many people kind of go down the rabbit hole and just spin off, um, not willing to deal with the realities of the disease. And and you guys really are true mentors for the rest of us in the world in terms of how how to live with the disease and not become it. So thank you again so much, Susan, for all your all you're doing. If people want to connect with you, is there um can they connect with you on Facebook if if somebody yeah. wants to chat? Yeah. Um and again it's Susan Parrish, you just put in the search bar or you're on um you're part of memory people. Are there some other groups that you're involved with that you'd like to mention? Um. Not that I can think of, but okay. um, I can give you my email if they if they wish to do that. Okay. Why don't we do, if people want to contact you, they can contact me and then it will send that privately um, okay. to you, if that's okay. 
Um, mm-hmm. And we will go that route. So thank you again for um, taking the time to be with us. I would like to ask all of our listeners to help us spread the word about our show today. And if you wouldn't mind going to our homepage and liking us so it pops up on your Facebook or you can email the episode uh, to your friends or families or coworkers. You can Twitter us. Um, You can also embed this episode on your website if you would like to help raise awareness um, because it's really, none of us can can do this alone. We have to become a team and become what I call advocates on steroids um, to raise awareness and really make a shift in our dementia care culture. As I mentioned earlier, our next show is going to be November 11th, and that will be um, 11 a.m. Eastern 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, and that will be with Michelle Mason, um, Igniting Your Dementia Care Culture, and that's going to be a follow-up to Soul Purpose. So if you've got some ideas out there that you're looking for some help in terms of brainstorming or maybe you're rolling out something new um, regarding dementia care, please call in and participate. We really want to get some some calls and some chatting going on what can we do different because there is, again, no right or wrong way. And then on November 14th, I will have David uh, Bosler on, and he is going to talk about VA benefits. And then I'm going to have Marianne uh, back again, and she's going to talk instead about her journey with her husband that she did last time. She's going to be talking about long-term care insurance. Uh, Then on November 18th, we are going to be honored to have Dr. William Fry, who is um, just a renowned researcher, and he was the first one who did the the insulin research. And then Alan Arnett is going to also update us on his seven summits climb. Um, He is finished. December 12th, we have uh, Rock Leo. Um, and he's another researcher. He's from Harvard, and they've got some really exciting things going on. And then on December 6th, we're going to be talking about social support groups, so the memory cafes, the Alzheimer's uh, cafes, and anything else that um, comes up and um, you know can help people in terms of living with this disease. If you are memory impaired and interested in sharing your story or you are giving care for someone, who is memory impaired, please reach out to me. We would love to hear from you. We want we want to hear your voice. As a world, we need to hear your voice. And I would love to be able to be the platform to assist um, in raising awareness with that. So thank you all again for listening. Um, as always, um, I would love you to use your memory chip techniques in terms of focusing on three simple things when you're interacting with someone with dementia. Are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? You can get your free memory chip at www.alzheimerspeaks.com. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed day as you think ahead to go ahead. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. 
We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.